Okay, as Lonnie said, my name is Tony. Anthony is gone today. Uh, he's gone with his son Anderson. So that gives me this incredible opportunity to share with you as we continue our series called Tethered, Staying Connected to Jesus. Anthony kicked off this series last week, and if you missed it, the heart behind this series is that we would learn to grow in not only being connected to Jesus, but tethered to him, meaning constantly learning from him, depending on him, and going with him on the adventure of becoming his disciple. And going on an adventure with Jesus is actually what I want to talk about today. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So you don't have to raise your hand, but let me just ask you this question right at the beginning. Would you describe your relationship with Jesus as an adventure? Think about that. For many years in my life, that would have been a foreign concept to me until I walked into his house, Christian Fellowship, at Central Michigan University. I'd grown up in the church. I learned a lot of things about Jesus, but this was the first time where I was actually surrounded by other people who were really seeking him, listening for his voice, surrendering their lives over to Jesus to follow him. I mean, I'd never really seen that outside of just a few family members in my life. And often the pastor would talk about these little adventures that he would go on with Jesus, or Jesus and his family would go on. And maybe it was like striking up a conversation with someone about the Lord while he was getting his hair cut. Uh, maybe it was being led to go and bless someone or pray for someone like on the spot in the midst of a store or something or serve in some dramatic way. And he encouraged us as followers of Christ to listen to the Holy Spirit and follow through too. And so one semester, our campus ministry actually went door to door in the dorms, knocking on the dorm rooms to see if students would let us clean their bathrooms and take care of their trash. Uh, Rooms of College Dudes was just like not the cleanest job in the world, but it led to some interesting conversations about Jesus because people were not expecting that. And on top of what I heard on Sundays and witnessed through other students, I started reading the Bible and also reading other books about people who truly lived out their faith. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, Jess, gave me this book called The Hiding Place. And we have to show a picture of a couple books up here. The Hiding Place, if you've never read it, is an incredible story of how God uses this one woman, Corey Ten Boom, um, in miraculous ways during the time of the Nazi occupation in Holland. If you want something to encourage your faith, grab this book. The other book is God Smuggler. A friend of mine named Josh gave it to me, and it's about this man who comes to Christ and then immediately goes on this mission to smuggle Bibles in behind the Iron Curtain. And I loved reading these kind of stories in conjunction with the scripture because I was looking at people living their real life who took Jesus right off the pages of the Bible into their very situation. And I got hooked on that. And if you want encouragement, go for that. So at this point in my life, I was seeing people who were living it out. I was taking in the truths of scripture and I wanted that kind of adventure with Jesus. Now, when I say adventure, I don't mean something that is always fun because any good adventure is full of challenges and hardships. There's suffering, there's setbacks, there is surrenders, there's incredible great highs and there's deep, deep lows. And all of those things form the adventurer along the way. 
And that is what Jesus has for us, the life that he has for us, the adventure that he wants to take us on. The Christianity that God has for us is not simply about showing up here on Sunday morning, but learning to passionately seek the Lord and learning to trust him as he leads in however he wants to lead us. And this week, we are going to be looking at the beginning of the disciples' first adventure journey with Jesus. And as we do today, let's just put ourselves in their shoes as much as we can to see Jesus through their eyes so that we can understand more of who he is and also what it looks like to follow him. So we're talking about adventure. You guys with me? Okay, I'm excited. So if you have your Bible, go to Mark chapter 1. That's where we're going to dive in. And as we're doing that, let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to move. Um, God, in the name of Jesus, I am excited because I know that there's so much more life that you have in store for us. God, I just always feel like there's just more to knowing you and living for you. And I pray that this morning you would use your word to encourage us to give our hearts towards going after it with you. And Father, I just, just humbly state that I know it's not my words that change anyone's life, encourages anyone. It's your spirit so Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, work through me. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 21. Right before we get there, we are picking up right where we left off last week. So Jesus has just called his first disciples. They're all fishermen. Simon and his brother Andrew and another set of brothers, James and John, and immediately they are thrust into this adventure of discipleship. And what we're going to see in these next few passages is the craziest 24-hour stretch of time I have ever heard of. It's pretty awesome. Okay, now 21. So Mark 1, 21 says, And immediately... Um, wait, nope, that's not what it says. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So first of all, this is what's going on. We've got five guys, Jesus, four disciples, they're in Capernaum. Capernaum would become Jesus' base for ministry. So you can get a framework of where we're at in the world. Check out this little map right here. So this is an up-to-date map. That little red marker is where Capernaum is, and so it's an up-to-date map, so you can see uh, to the north we've got Lebanon and Syria, to the south we've got Israel and Jordan. Now this next map is like a Bible Times map, and so you can see um, that little red dot again is at the very northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Hence, there were all these fishermen that were around at that time. It was a prosperous trading village. Many caravans and travelers would have passed through. Back to the passage. So they head to the synagogue, and Jesus is teaching. Now, this would have been a normal practice for known teachers to be able to share at a local synagogue, because at that time, synagogues were not led by priests, but they were led by laymen and then supervised by a board of elders. So it was a normal practice where a local synagogue would invite a recognized teacher to come in and speak to their congregation. As you read the Gospels, you see Jesus do this over and over again. And then later on, Paul also follows the same example, talking to the churches. So Jesus is teaching, how did it go? Back to verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So if you can see, I bolded authority. If you have a pen, underline that in your Bible, highlight it. That's going to be a main word that we're going to be looking at through this morning. Authority is a big theme in today's passage. 
So first here, we see that he has authority to teach. And it says the people were astonished. They were astonished because it was so different than what they were used to hearing. And then it says, not at all like the scribes. So why was the teaching different? Well, the scribes, they taught what they had heard or learned from other rabbis, but there wasn't a personal connection to what they were saying. To now when Jesus comes, it's totally different. He came from God, is the Son of God, and he is speaking the words of God in a way that people had never heard of. When Jesus spoke, it did something to those who heard it. It reminds me of these two men that are talking with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in Luke 24. Like they're talking with him as they're walking along and he's explaining the scriptures to them. And then they say this. We'll just put it up on the screen. They say, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road? These men have this conversation with Jesus and I love it that they're just like, our hearts were burning as he spoke. I think that's the same thing that was happening that first day at the synagogue. The people were used to hearing about God. Now they were hearing from God. And it kind of reminds me of when I started going to that campus ministry I talked about at the beginning. Like I'd gone to church for years, but when this campus pastor got up and talked, it's like he knew Jesus so intimately and he'd spent so much time with Jesus that when he spoke, it was just different. And it was like in my heart, I was like, yes, that is true. And so the people at the synagogue that day, they're amazed at the teaching, but they haven't seen anything yet because check out what happens next. Verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So they're still in the synagogue, right? Jesus has just taught, and this man cries out. The Greek word there for cried out means like a strong emotional shriek. So this would be like me standing up here, you all in your seats, someone coming in and just screaming. That's the situation that we have going on in the Bible right now, right? Everyone would have taken notice. And what's interesting is the demon knows exactly who Jesus is. And his question is basically this. What are you doing here? Are you going to destroy me? And he calls him the Holy One of God. So see the contrast. We have unclean spirit and Holy One of God, like two completely opposite ends of the spiritual realm spectrum. So what does Jesus do? Verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him, which means to reprove or to censure. Essentially, he calls him out, saying, be silent. And come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. There's that word again. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So put yourself in the context of the people in that synagogue and of Jesus' first disciples. First, they hear the truth of God with authority like they never have. Secondly, they see the power and authority of God over the spiritual realm. We were singing about it even this morning already, just the power of God. The enemy fears Jesus. Jesus is definitely over the spiritual realm. The book of James talks about how the demons know Jesus and they shudder. 
And this is something that I was taught as a young boy by my mom. I remember my mom telling me to just say the name of Jesus when I was scared. And honestly, it's something that I still do when I get that creepy kind of odd feeling, if you know what I'm talking about, like you're around some person and it just feels kind of odd, or if I'm going into a building or a space and it just feels weird, like I say the name of Jesus and I go in. But it's not just that I was taught the power of the name of Jesus, I've also seen it. Because back in 2008, myself, uh, one of my really good friends, Josh, and a mentor of ours, went with Jesus on an adventure to Tanzania, Africa. And we worked out in the bush with new church plants, did some work with the Jesus film people, and we gave out lots of Bibles, talked, prayed with lots of people. And one night, after a long time of worshiping and preaching, there was this offering for prayer, and many people came to the front. And all of a sudden, like three women, they're up here in the front and they're there for prayer and they just start shrieking and convulsing and laying on the ground. And um, men from the meeting came and grabbed the arms and legs of these ladies and they're, they're holding them like this and their body's going like this and they take them around the back of the stage. And then my, my buddy, Josh, he's with me and they're like, hey, can you help us? And so he goes back there with them. So then me and like my mentor are standing here should we go back there? <laughs> like, what should we do? And he's like, oh, let's go for it. So we go back there. We go back there. And when we get back there, we see like two to three men holding these ladies down on the ground while their bodies are just going like this, shaking and going crazy. And they're just simply praying over them, casting out this demon in the name of Jesus. Like, this is something that I had read about in scripture, like we're reading today, but never had seen. And now I was seeing it with my eyes. So my friend's praying for this one lady, so I just go to this other woman, and I'm just, I just start praying over her, and I'm literally trying to pray every verse I can think of, <laughs> you know, like, the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, who the Son sets free is free indeed, and just kind of like saying the name of Jesus, and then it was just incredible, because all of a sudden, she just like, she just stopped, and just like peace kind of came over her whole body, and she just lay there. I was like, wow, it is awesome. Um, what Jesus can do. And also, this is the same stuff that's happening with our RCC missionaries down in the Dominican Republic. They deal with this stuff constantly as they pray and fight the spiritual battle down there. And so do I believe there's power in the name of Jesus over the spiritual realm? Definitely. There aren't just stories we read. This stuff is real. And going back to our account, what happens when Jesus casts out the demon? I don't know if you caught it in verse 28 but that it says his fame spread everywhere. People flock to him. They want to be around him and watch him do the miracles, right? But the series Tethered is more than just watching Jesus. It's about not just being amazed by Jesus, but locking our lives directly to Jesus, going with him, depending on him, living surrendered to him. It's allowing his presence to continually make us more like him so that people can also experience the kingdom of God. But right now, in our account, people weren't getting that whole big picture. They just wanted to see the show, which we're going to dive more into that later, but let's keep going. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now just think about this again, the disciples. 
This is the same day, right? They just left the synagogue, and they saw all that craziness happen. Simon takes them home to meet his family. They show up, and his mother-in-law has a fever. Living in our current world right now, a lot of people are facing fevers. And when you have one, it's terrible. You feel uncomfortable. It's painful. You're like roasting, but you're shivering at the same time. It's not good. I think that probably all of us have been there at some point in our lives. But the great thing about a fever is when it breaks, there's just like this release. You know, you just feel so much better. But usually, you're still tired and wiped out. What's awesome here is that when Jesus touches this mother-in-law, the fever is gone and all the effects of it and whatever started it is gone because she immediately gets up and serves him which is incredible. So just in this little section with the mother-in-law, there's three things I want to point out to you really quick as, as far as an adventure with Jesus. The first is this. Take Jesus home with you. Really simple. Theologian Warren Wearsby points out that Simon and Andrew didn't just bring James and John home. They brought Jesus. And Wearsby says, don't leave Jesus at church. Take him home with you and let him share in your blessings and burdens. I feel like sometimes the biggest adventures with Jesus can be when we make the courageous step to take him home to our family and our in-laws and our friends and tell them about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That is difficult, and it can be an awesome, incredible, hard, and lifelong adventure. But that's a picture of being tethered to Jesus because being tethered to Jesus means that you realize that where I am, he is with me all the time. He is in every aspect of my life. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we want to see is Jesus not only has authority over teaching and authority over the spiritual realm, he also has authority over the physical realm. He has power to heal we at Riverview, as disciples of Christ, we believe that God gives people wisdom and we believe in doctors and medicine and God can heal through that. But we also as Christians believe that God has supernatural power to heal and so we pray. And so I'm just encouraging you to pray and ask God to heal. The last thing is that the only response to Jesus touching your life is really to respond in service to him, which is just what this mother-in-law does. We're going to see so many more healings this morning still, and this unnamed mother-in-law is the only one who turns to serve Jesus. And she gives the first picture of what Jesus is actually after, true disciples who are learning to love and serve like him. But yet, the day is not yet over for the disciples. Verse 32, this is when the crowds come. That evening... At sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm and the physical realm is on display right now. And things are almost becoming like a circus. Everybody wants to come and get healed, get their family healed, get their friends set free, and they're showing up at the door late at night. I mean, wouldn't you? I would. I would want to be there, and that is what is happening. And Jesus just continues to minister to these people. Like, what an incredible sight that would have been to be able to see. So, this has been a long day and a long night for Jesus and his disciples. And to my mind, sleeping in seems like 
a good idea, right? That's not what Jesus did. Look at verse 35. <coughs> Excuse me. 35. In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. What we want to see in this section is that Jesus was tethered to his father, tethered to his father. This is a normal practice that you're going to see with Jesus throughout the Gospels, where he gets away by himself, alone with his father, away from everyone else, to just be with him. He is showcasing a life of dependence on his father for all the strength and the wisdom for what lay ahead of him that day. He's modeling what uh, the prophet Isaiah says in 50 verse 4. We'll just have this up on the screen too. But it just says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. This is what Jesus was doing with the Father. Getting that word that would sustain the weary person he would be meeting that day. And this is the pattern for us as disciples of Jesus to also get away from everything else, to focus on Jesus, to get the word to you know, prepare us for what is before us each and every single day. But again, the disciples, they weren't getting that bigger picture. They had other things on their mind. Look at what Simon and the other disciples do. In verse 36, Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said, everyone is looking for you. Again, put yourself in these guys' sandals, right? Literally, a couple days ago, they were just fishermen in a boat. They were just working on their nets. Now they are with Jesus, the biggest thing around in his inner circle. And things have started to get real, like real quick. Teaching with authority, casting the demon out of the synagogue, the mother's fever is gone, then like a whole night of casting out demons and healing people, all in one day, one 24-hour stretch. This is like the craziest thing these guys have ever been a part of, and they want to get back to the action. For them, things are happening. It's like Jesus Let's get back to business. Everyone is waiting. They were caught up in the momentum and the excitement, but Jesus was focused on different things. And that's a lesson they had to learn and a lesson we have to learn too. According to another biblical theologian, Dr. Thomas Constable, he says, Simon and his companions did not understand Jesus' need for prayer. They seem to have had the common attitude that when things are favorable, we do not need God's help. Their words implied annoyance. Apparently, they felt Jesus was not taking advantage of his popularity to promote his mission. This last line is really important. They did not realize that God directed Jesus' mission, not the responses of people. That's an important line. Because for Jesus, his focus was on the work that God had given him, and he wasn't going to be swayed by the apparent needs of the people. First and foremost, he was about being tethered to his father and doing the work that his father had called him to do. But look at how he responds. Uh, Look at how Jesus responds to Simon in verse 38. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. This is Jesus giving his purpose statement for being here. Let me preach. That's why I came out. Why did Jesus come? For what purpose? To preach 
And what was his message to preach? It was what he talked about last week in Mark 1, 14 and 15. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what his message was. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus' focus was to preach and proclaim to people that things are different now. They don't have to be the same anymore for you. The rule and reign of the Lord is here. The healings, the demons, those are just evidence that the kingdom of God is here, but not the focus. The focus for them and for us is that people would believe that God has now made a way through Jesus for people to be saved and to know God Jesus didn't come to be some like circus act for people to like and to watch. He came to explain that he, the Savior, was here, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And then for his disciples to then give their lives in response, in love, in service to him, bringing that same message to a very lost world. But go back to Simon and the others. Like in their minds, they're not getting the bigger picture They're thinking, things are happening in Capernaum. We need to stay here. Keep these healings rolling. Like, this is exciting. In their minds, this is where they needed to be. But again, we want to be tethered to Jesus, meaning that where Jesus goes, we go. Even if everything in us is saying, I don't want to do that. I need to stay here. I don't want to go there. Being tethered to Jesus is going on that adventure to say, even though I don't understand this, I don't understand what you're doing or where you're leading me or how this is going to go, I'm still going to go with you because I'm following you. Jesus would make this super clear in Mark chapter 8. We're going to talk about it in a few weeks, but I just want to bring it up right now. This is what Jesus says to his followers in Mark 8. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. And that's kind of where we end our section today. This is like he has this conversation with them in the morning, and that's where the 24-hour stretch basically ends. And then the last verse of your section, verse 39, he just kind of, it's kind of them going out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So the disciples learned a ton and had a lot of experiences in 24 hours. And they still had a lot to learn. We also have a lot to learn. What do we take from what we heard today? I think as I just was praying through and thinking about this message, it's just that Jesus wants us to experience real life with him and to go on the adventure that he offers. But if you're like me, maybe you're not always experiencing that adventure. And maybe there are a few reasons why you don't have that in your life. The first is this. If you've never personally met Jesus, you can't have an adventure of hearing his voice, seeing his power do incredible things, following him, because if you don't have him, you can't have him lead you. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you that that starts with confessing that I have sin in my life, I know I've messed up, I've done wrong things, I can't save myself, I can't change myself, I can't do it, I need a savior. That is only Jesus. And then choosing to trust in the new life that he offers you now and forever in walking out in that. And if you haven't done that, do that today. And then, like Lonnie said, get baptized next week. You've got one man getting baptized. It'd be incredible to see other men and women who have never taken that step to say, you know what? I do believe in Jesus. I do want to tell the world about it. I am following him. If you've never done that, let's do that this week and then do that next week. 
But also, you may be a Christian, and you might be here, and you're just like, I'm not experiencing an adventure. And honestly, I find myself in that place so easily and so often. It's like the default. You want to turn back to non-adventure living with Jesus. And when I get there, there are normally a couple reasons for it. The first is an easy one. I'm just not making any time for Jesus. I'm just not. We live in this busy world that can just be so overloaded with all the things that are coming at us. We can be entertained to death if you want to with phones and Netflix and Prime and all this other stuff. But we need to make time and guard time for Jesus. Because if we don't, we're going to be like those scribes in the beginning that they, they, they knew a lot about and they, they said a lot about Jesus, but it wasn't coming from a personal place of like, I actually have met him, I know him, I'm hearing from him. And that's where we want to be. The reality is, every single person has excuses. I have excuses. Everybody does. But if we want anything that Jesus has for us, we have to make the intentional choice to welcome him into our lives, to do what he modeled for us, to get away, to get alone with the Father, hear his voice, get into his word, allow him to speak to our hearts. That's the first thing. Another reason why sometimes I don't experience the adventure is that I think I've just said no too many times to following little nudges that the Holy Spirit puts on my heart. And I'm just not able to hear it very well anymore. And I'm not thinking about it. I'm not expecting it. So example is maybe I felt the need to extend a conversation at no frills with someone one time. And I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to leave. I didn't want to take the time. Um, maybe I felt the need to call a friend that just randomly popped in my head as I was driving. And I was like, nah, it's probably nothing. I'm not going not gonna to do that. Maybe I felt the Lord asking me to pray about a certain situation and like actually like walk with people through this, and I just, I don't want to. Or maybe I felt him like kind of stir my heart to say, you know what, why don't you come to Riverview on Sunday? But I feared how they were going to respond. I didn't know how that was going to go, and I just didn't do it. Um, or maybe he wanted me to bless someone, and I just was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I've done that a lot, and when I get in the habit of saying no, then I don't see the adventure. I don't experience what Jesus has for me. I'm not excited for what's going to happen. And so if you ever get to that place like I do, I would encourage you, if you know that you've missed some of those nudges, you just confess it to the Lord like, Jesus, I know that you were asking me to do something, or at least I think you were, and I didn't do it. I'm sorry. And then you repent, which is just like, I'm making this intentional choice right now that, God, I want to be open to you, and what you want me to do, I want to do it. And I choose to do it. Essentially, what you're saying is, I'm sorry, give me another shot. And I really believe that when we pray that prayer, God, I want to serve you and love people well. He will give you the opportunity to do it. It will happen. And that's what I want for us. And just as we wrap up today, like our goal again is to be tethered to Jesus you know, um, not Jesus tethered to me, like I go on my life and Jesus goes with me. The goal is that we are locked in, tethered to Jesus, and where Jesus goes, we go, and we experience the life that he has for us, and we get his resources and his grace and his power and his wisdom to go through what he wants us to do. That's the life that I think Jesus wants for all of us, and that's my heart for RCC. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I just, I just feel it often that there's so much more to being a Christian 
than just coming and just doing this. When I read your word, it is not the picture of the life that I always live, but I want that. And it's scary, and I don't know how it's going to work out, but that's where the trust comes in. And Lord, I want that for our church. Like I, I just absolutely don't want to be this church of just people that come on Sunday and then we go live our lives. I want to be a part of something that like actually shapes the culture that we're in and starts changing the city that we're a part of. And, and just like where people actually read something, and you're like, you know what, that's what Jesus says, I'm just going to go for it because my life is not my own anymore. I just want to be part of that. Um, so Lord, I pray that you would just do that within my heart um, and do that in the hearts of everybody here at Riverview, that we would just follow you, love you completely. Thank you for your grace that covers us, all the mistakes, the things that we haven't done. I thank you for that, Lord, but also just empower us by your spirit to live out what you have. In Jesus' name, amen.